for about 10 years, we never celebrated Christmas because it was too, too, too raw for Charlene to um, see other people being happy with their kids and knowing that Crystal was, was no longer there anymore. Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. Today on The Detail... It's an enormous hurt to New Zealand and, and to our communities. And it costs... Billions. An extraordinary amount of money. A fatality is about four million now. What is the cost if someone ends up being permanently paralysed? That's about twenty million dollars. The road toll. Yes, it dropped last year, but still, three hundred and fifty-three people died. Nearly one person every day. For every death, seven people are badly injured. And AA's Mike Noon says it doesn't stop there. They say, you know. Well over 100 people are affected closely and intimately by every crash. We'll hear more from Mike Noon shortly about what's causing the crashes, why young men and women are still our biggest statistic, and what it will take to cut our road toll by 40% in 10 years. But here's the story of one road crash and the hurt it caused to one family. It's generations around that person. It pretty much destroyed a grandfather. He was never, ever the same after Crystal... Malcolm Barnett is talking about his stepdaughter, Crystal Bennett, killed in a head-on collision. She was driving home from work on the 5th of September 2004, minding her own business, and uh, we don't know exactly what happened apart from police reports and all the rest of it, but apparently there was a vehicle on on the wrong side of the road for about 300 metres driving towards Crystal. And from what I can gather, Crystal tried to go around the school, and the guts of it is they hit head-on. Um, both cars landed op- uh, facing opposite ways across the centre line, and Crystal was killed at the scene, uh, along with a 12-year-old boy in her own car. Her sisters, even now, they are basically withdrawn. One of them was travelling overseas at the time. She had to come back. She had to be told by a tour guide when she was on a Kontiki tour that Crystal had been killed. Now she's never gone overseas again. And, of course, uh, to fix Charlene... Um, Charlene is Crystal's mum. Yep. You know, right up to now, it's still a fix Charlene. She's, uh, Crystal was born on the 23rd of December. For about 10 years, we never celebrated Christmas because it was too, too, too raw for Charlene to um, see other people being happy with their kids. And knowing that Crystal was, was no longer there anymore, being the baby of the family. So what do you know about the driver? She was on PN Morphine, driving an unwarranted, unregistered vehicle with bull tyres. How old was she? She was 19. Mm. And Crystal was 18. There's a lot of talk about the cost of it, uh, estimated around $4 million for a death and, um, you know, many millions for people who might be badly injured from yes, an accident. Yes, what they call the social cost of it, I think, is what they do. Um, I think ACC paid out about $8,000 on what they called an accidental death for Crystal. Um, and that helped pay for a funeral. We still had to come up with four grand to pay for a funeral plus the rehabilitation, whatever it costs to rehabilitate. The other people in her car, one girl nearly lost a leg. She had a, a left leg was broken multiple times. Another guy in her car uh, almost lost half his face with it as a kid in the back came catapulting through the front windscreen. Are you talk- Was Crystal on her own and you're, these other yes, people you're was- talking about were passengers in the driver's car? Yeah, they were car. passengers in the other car. You're obviously talking to me because you want changes. Definitely. We want to see the police have more power to stop people driving with drugs in their system. Now they're talking about legalising cannabis. I mean, how the hell is that going to help? 
Is that the main thing that you have been pushing for? No, we actually campaigned for four and a half years and got a meeting barrier up where Crystal was killed. We had to focus on something. Well, we've heard about the extra money, $5.3 billion, the government's putting into better roading. The AA says new highways planned for Tauranga, Otaki to Levin and Whangarei are in areas that have seen some of the highest risk roads for decades for fatal crashes. The stretch of road from west of Tauranga to Katikati has had 35 fatal crashes and 62 serious crashes over five years. It's so bad that locals started a Fix the Bloody Road campaign and they erected giant crosses along State Highway 2 to draw attention to the problem. We've just put up these uh, 20 crosses and the 20 crosses uh, are the 20 people that have died since 2010 through to the end of 2017. Our horrific road toll was steadily decreasing until seven years ago when we saw a five-year period of rises. Mike Noon hopes last year's drop is a turning point, but then he thought they'd cracked it in 2013 too. And since 2013, it's just gone up until in 2018, we're up to 377. That was a 50% increase. So this last year, 2019, to come back to 353, 24 less people died on our roads, um, you've got to say, yeah, well, we like that. But what we don't like is that that's nearly one person is dying on our roads every day, and that's not acceptable. What we really want in the road toll is an ongoing decreasing trend in the toll, and we've had five years of it rising except for last year, and I just hope that what we've got now is the start of a period where we'll see it reducing each year. More rumble strips, wider road shoulders to give people a chance to correct an error while driving. And of course we will be looking at where speed management can make a difference on our most dangerous roads. Can the government take any credit for this drop with its new policies? bit early for that, to be honest. There's some really weird stuff that happens with the road toll and in terms of the economy and, and things like the price of fuel affecting the number of kilometres people um, drive because, of course, it's a, a risk game. The more kilometres are driven, the, the more exposure there is. And that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because in 2010, there were 9.2 deaths per billion kilometres travelled. And in 2017, there were 78 is that, that's pretty significant, I guess. It, it is, but it, it's still not very good. And, and in fact, you know, that, that is one of the ways you can compare how one country is doing against another. And on those sort of things, we don't do very well. So if we compare ourselves to the countries that are in the OECD, you know, out of 22 countries, we, we come in number 20. We're, we're right at the bottom, second off the bottom. New Zealand has a, a death rate of 7.8 per billion kilometres. If you have a look at, say, you know, the global leaders in Scandinavia in the UK, um, they have two to three deaths wow. per billion kilometres. So That's there, is a, a there is a huge difference. Yeah. We've got a long, long way to go. What Britain has is it has a hierarchy of roads. So it has a, a fantastic motorway network. You can go across Britain in a couple of hours and on very, very high-quality roads. And then you've got regional roads, and then you've got roads which are country roads, which you go very slowly on. And one of the problems that we've had in New Zealand is we've tried to make all the roads in New Zealand look the same and do the same job. So 
having good quality roads makes a fantastic difference. You know, we compare ourselves often with Sweden. We don't come off very well, and we are trying very hard in New Zealand to get up to 500 kilometres of divided highway, so a highway with a barrier down it. Well, Sweden has 5,000 kilometres. That would be the equivalent in New Zealand of having a divided road from Cape Reinga to Bluff and then an, and another road from New Plymouth to Gisborne. And that barrier, that's a huge factor in in the whole safety thing? Yeah, well, it is, because what happens is um, as the roads get more congested, as you said, if you do make a mistake for any reason and you drift across the road or if you drift to the left of the road and lose control and then end up going across to the right hand of the road, there's going to be someone else coming. There's going to be a truck coming. There's going to be another car coming. So if you can separate um, the traffic, the two streams of traffic, then you remove the head-on um, collision with an oncoming vehicle. And, of course, those are uh, the most dramatic and, and, and the highest-risk collisions that you can have. You know, we crash for two reasons. We either crash because we're um, doing something extreme, and that's about 50% of the fatalities, or we're just actually good, normal people who make a mistake. We might fall asleep, we might you know, misjudge a corner or and run off the road. So when that happens, when you do make a mistake... The roading infrastructure, whether whether it's divided, whether there's poles or ditches on the side of the road that you're going to hit, that makes a huge difference to the outcome, um, the trauma from the crash. All right, so that's roads. What about the cars themselves? Are our cars becoming safer? The new cars are becoming safer, um, but of course we, we import a lot of cars as well, and we generally tend to keep our cars in the fleet for a long time. So the average age of a vehicle in New Zealand now is a little over 14 years. And we do have a system to to rate the safety of cars, and basically a star rating system. And just to sort of put that in perspective, if you're in a three-star safety-rated car, you're twice as likely to die in a crash than if you're in a five-star car. So when you've made that mistake, the next thing that's really important is the car is going to protect you if you're in a crash. It's going to have crumple zones. It's going to have side curtain airbags. It's going to have frontal airbags. Um, And then there's a range of things that cars have that can help you not get in the crash at all, like electronic stability control, um, like uh, emergency braking. So the car you're driving has a big impact on whether you crash and also a big impact on what happens if you do crash? Should these low star rating vehicles be banned? Well, what we've asked for for a very long time at the association, and I think we're actually making some progress, touch wood, I really do think we are, is that we want the, the star ratings or the safety ratings of cars to be displayed at the point of sale. So the used car ratings and the new car ratings generally are. So when you've got your $7,000 or your $10,000 and you want to go and buy a car, you can see that the two cars that look exactly the same, the two sedans that you're looking at, one of them has a four-star rating and one of them has a two-star rating. And we want people to make that choice and pick the car with a four-star rating because that's the one that's going to protect them if it all goes wrong. Most parents or a lot of parents have a little bit of influence when their um, children buy a car. They might be helping with the petrol or they might be helping with some of the cost. And that's really important then that you buy a safe car. Don't fall into the trap of thinking, gosh, well, they might dent it, so we'll just get them something old. It won't matter. 
Because actually, if you're a parent, what is the most valuable thing in the world to you? Past your house, past your money, it's your children. And you really want those your your children to be as protected as possible. Okay, we've talked a little bit about roads, but interesting here that about 70% of road deaths in New Zealand happen on rural roads and highways, and 2% happen on motorways. Is that because of the, the barrier? It's because of the quality, because those, those roads are engineered faster than the actual speed limit that they're set at. So, you know, we have a couple of 110 kilometre an hour roads in New Zealand and, and they've been extremely safe. A good example would be the Kapiti Expressway, which is a recently new road. In the two years before that road opened um, was the old State Highway 1. It had one fatal crash and seven serious injuries. In the two years since it's opened, it's had no fatal crashes and it's had one serious injury. And yet we have roads out there that are very unsafe. So the road at the moment from Otaki to Levin, for instance, that is not a good road. That, is, that has got a very high safety risk, even over the holiday periods there were crashes there. And things like the, the Waikato Expressway to Pariri, you know, that needs to that needs to be completed because the section of road there at the moment is just not safe. Um, there have just been some crashes there just very recently. Um, so we really do need to invest um, in our roading network um, because it does make such an incredible difference. Impaired driving, one in three road deaths involve alcohol or drugs. I suppose that's no surprise really, is it? Yeah, we're not doing as well as we um, would hope there. Remember we had the lower BAC limit, um, so we're now at a 0.05. Um, we BAC, still have uh, blood alcohol oh, yeah. uh, level. It's not necessarily the people just sort of on, on the two drinks sort of limit or around there that are the problem. It's the people that are uh, that are really severely impaired, and we, we still have very impaired drivers two, three times the limit um, on the roads. We introduced... Um, an interlock system, which is where if you're caught with a very high alcohol level driving or a repeat offender, you need to have this device in your car that won't start. Your car won't start unless you have no alcohol on your breath. And they're very good, but they're only being given to about half of the eligible drivers. So that's a problem. And what is a really emerging problem now is that we never used to see much or hear much about the drugs, but drugs are as a bigger uh, impairment issue as alcohol now. What kind so of we, drugs, Mike? We have uh, people who might be on synthetic cannabis, might be on cannabis. There was a very bad synthetic cannabis crash, if you remember, in the North Island the other year. Well, a coroner's report released this morning identifies synthetic cannabis as the cause of a crash which killed seven people in Waverley a year ago. The sole survivor of the horror smash admitted to the coronial inquest in May that she and her partner, who was driving, were high on synthetic cannabis. We've got people on methamphetamine. We also have some crashes where people are on prescription medicines and unintentionally can be impaired. So you want to see roadside drug testing introduced urgently? Absolutely. We've been arguing for this for many years. It happens in many other jurisdictions. It happens in Australia. It happens in the UK. And in fact, in some of the states in Australia, they have more drugged drivers apprehended on the side of the road than they do drink drivers. And basically, um, at the moment, we are doing nothing to deter people from driving impaired on our roads, and it's it's turning up in the numbers, uh, well, wh- the people why, being killed. Why is it, Mike? Why, why aren't we seeing roadside drug testing? 
we've nearly got there. So the program is now underway to, to introduce it in a form and it's being worked through. Some of the early testing, the results were, were difficult. There were some false positives. There were some issues here around civil liberties or rights. And, of course, it's very expensive. Speed, travelling too fast for conditions, that was a factor in about one in three fatal crashes and one in five serious injury crashes in recent years. The reason that speed is so important is because it's the energy which is involved in the crash. So the faster you're going, then the the more energy which is involved. So if you are involved in a crash, then there's a lot more forces to be dissipated um, at the end, you know, when you crash. So the faster you go, the bigger the risk of of trauma um, if it goes wrong. So it becomes very emotional. But we do know that um, over many surveys of our members, um, you know, 87% of AA members are opposed from speed limits being um, dropped to 90 kilometres an hour um, from the 100. And I guess, uh, you know, 80% are opposed to the urban limit going to 40 kilometres an hour. Now, there are some very um, good cases where the open road limit should be 90 or 80 kilometres an hour and some very good cases where urban limits in certain areas should be 40 kilometres an hour or in city centres or multi-use areas, maybe 30 kilometres an hour. So the, the association's view is that we need to look at speed limits on a case-by-case basis. And this idea of just doing blanket um, drops creates environments where the speed limit doesn't explain well to people, and then you get low compliance. Oh, no. George's driving. He's too wasted. I should say something. But I could look dumb in front of Monique. An ad campaign I really liked, and, and listeners might remember this, was one which was filmed on the East Coast, and it was called Ghost Chips. And if he dies, Ghost George will haunt me forever. Grab a chip. Want a chip? You know I can't grab your ghost chips. I think that was particularly powerful, and that got a very good message to the young people that that was targeting. <laughs> Stop a mate from driving drunk. Legend. The ones that don't work where you've got someone waving their finger at them telling people what to do because uh, that, that sort of turns people off pretty quickly. And we've had sort of a number of those over the, over the years. But what we see now is some pretty targeted advertising, but we still have a, a focus here of only advertising for things that we can punish people for. Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, that is a fail. So it used to be called the greatest enforceable risk, but but it has led to not enough advertising, in my view, on an awareness on distraction and fatigue, because they are very big factors in in crashes in New Zealand. Okay, cell phones is a good one. Oh, well, cell phones, yeah. Don't get me started because I mean they're they're illegal, but you wouldn't know it, would you? Yeah, and part of that is is because the 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 risk of being detected is so low. And we have this this really strange thing in New Zealand, and people will have most probably heard me say this before, but when we survey um, our members, in fact, general New Zealanders, uh, they come out um, a bit of an oxymoron. They come out and say that they're better than average drivers <laughs> because they're comparing themselves um, to to their driving history, and it's quite a rare rare event to crash. So we all think that we're a great driver, and we all think that the other guys are all useless drivers. And I think with cell phones, we sort of think, well, we've done it a lot. 
You know, the cell phone, the classic one I used to see, because I used to commute on the, the motorway here, and as you came up to Parramatta, you'd be following this car on the road, and they'd be slowing down, they'd be speeding up in the lane, they'd be wavering in the lane, and you think, God, these people are drunk. What's going on here? What am I going to do? I'm going to have to pull over and start 5-5 or do something. Yeah. Then they'd get to that roundabout at Parramatta, they'd cut across the lanes, and everyone around them would have their hands up in the air going, my God, what's going on? And then you'd see they had a phone stuck on their ear. Mm. And they're just, concentration is just in the vehicle. They're missing all the periphery stuff that's going on around them because they're so invested in concentrating on that call that they're just oblivious of what they've just done. Um, 15 to 24-year-olds, I guess, is that young men, they are still the biggest statistic? Yeah, we still don't do well with our young people. And if I come back to what we were talking about before about your young young drivers, that first six to 12 months when someone first starts driving on their own, where they're on their restricted license, that is their highest ever risk time as a young driver. So please get your young people, get your kids to obey those restrictions. Don't drive at night. Don't drive with passengers because that massively increases their risk. And you know, a young man um, is about seven times uh, more at risk of uh, crashing and being killed than um, an average driver during that period. And, and a young girl, they've been catching up. They're, they're sort of six to seven. So that first time of driving is very, very high risk. And, because um, why? To... What, what are they doing that's, that's wrong? Well, they might be testing a few things that they shouldn't be doing, but also they're inexperienced. We try to get them to do 150 hours of driving before they go through their test, and the test is now tougher. But as a parent, again, coming back, as a parent, what you can do is you can invest your time taking them out, letting them get experience. First time they're driving at night, first time they're driving in the rain, first time they're passing vehicles, first time they're doing a long trip, first time they're driving in heavy traffic. All of those different driving experiences, if you put the time in with your kids so that they're familiar with all of those and they've, they've got their skill levels up, then you're helping uh, protect them from being one of the, the statistics. It's incredibly nerve-wracking, isn't it, going out with your kids, treating them to be better drivers? Well, when you're there, if, if you're actually... Here's another sort of myth just to bust in here. Um, they're at, you're actually very safe. When you've got your, your daughter or your son and they're on their learner's licence and they're out learning to drive, they're actually very safe. They're a much higher risk when they first start to drive solo because mm. they haven't got you to say, look, just just keep an eye out on the left here. That car looks like it's going to pull out. They haven't yet learned all of those um, forward scanning tools and skills that we, we mostly just do subconsciously. Mike, when we were speaking earlier, you said the thing that frustrates you is that the police are missing in action. Yeah, they have been. The last couple of years, we, we think they have been. The number of officer tickets has fallen. The roadside um, alcohol testing, you know, they used to do up to three million tests a year. You just don't see those alcohol stops the same as you used to see them. The police being out there, their presence on the road um, has a really good effect on getting people to behave properly and calm traffic. And what you're saying is that for us to reach this government target in its new Road to Zero strategy of reducing deaths and serious injuries by 40% by 2030, is that right? Yeah, the, the target that we've got is um, extremely ambitious. 
I don't think that's a bad thing. I'm just saying it's very ambitious. And there have been countries which have um, reduced their, their roll toll by 40% in 10 years. Um, and I, you know, I, I sincerely hope that we are able to do this. But what it will require is a great deal of investment. We were talking earlier about the need to put um, barrier on roads, um, also putting in rumble strip, also addressing um, out-of-context curves, um, looking at uh, um, unsafe intersections. Uh, you know, there is, a, there is a lot of work that needs to be done to the network and a lot of investment made, investment in technology, investment in um, you know, education to, to achieve that target. How much investment do you think? About twice as much as they're doing now. That's the detail for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day and if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Rangi Poek and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Mike Noon and Malcolm Barnett. Mā te wā.